Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. All right, Hope Community Church, how are we doing today? We good? Nice. Nice. Hey, I'm super pumped to be here uh, with you today. Just like assuming that we've not met because I've only taught here once before and it it was about a year ago. Um, So a quick like rapid fire facts about me. My name is Ben Foote. I've I've been a pastor out in Denver, Colorado for the last like 12, 13 years. Uh, Been married to my wonderful wife, Allie, for 14 years. And then we got three little kids at home. Goes girl, boy, girl, ages 10, 8, and 5. Just like rapid fire facts about me. This is always the point where I feel like I should tell you I'm 38 years old, even though I don't look like it. Because some of you are doing the math and you're like, what episode of Teen Mom were you guys on? It's like, (laughs) no, I just look very young. Um, (laughs) But uh, here's the only thing I really care for you to know about me today is that I love your church. I genuinely love your church. I love your community. I love your leaders. Most importantly, I love the mission that you guys have committed together towards, which this is the mission of like, you want to follow Jesus. Oh, okay, yeah. You're clapping for yourself, but a little rude. <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, yeah, this, this mission of like, we want to follow Jesus by loving people where they're at. Like, you know, before we've cleaned up our acts, before we have all, all the answers, like that's where Jesus met people and, and loved them. And, and that's what you guys are trying to do together. And that's how my heart beats. So I just, I love your church. I was asked to come out and uh, speak for a couple weeks in the middle of this series. And when I got asked that, I was over the moon because I get to at least come out here and tell you thanks for being who you are um, and thanks for letting me be a part of it for a couple of weeks. So, okay, let's kick off this series. Okay, brand new series called From Start to Finish. And what we're gonna be doing throughout the series is we're taking a look at what Jesus has to say about our families, okay? So if you follow Jesus, then what does it look like to be married? What does it look like to be parents? And then what does it look like to age well? All right, and and we're gonna actually be taking a look at this idea of families in the long run. And what I mean by that is we're not just gonna talk about how to start well, and we're not just gonna talk about what it looks like to be in in the thick of it. Like we're gonna have the whole time our eyes set on the prize, on on the goal, on the the finish line. Like what can we be doing together or, or today in our families now to have the best shot of crossing the finish line of family later on down the road in victory instead of in defeat okay because the truth is that it's easy to start something right super easy to start something it's really difficult to finish something I'm one of those guys I got a new hobby every two months it's like it's easy for me to start stuff it's difficult to finish okay for example I'm I'm the kind of person that I don't always play board games but when I do I play risk you know I love risk it's just that risk is a long long game Right, most of the time I, I win risk, not because I'm a strategic genius, but just because all my friends quit, right? They're like, bro, it's been five hours, like we're gonna go home. And I'm, I'm the dude who's like, we're just getting started, fellas, let's stick around. Um, it's just a really long game, it's hard to finish. Or I used to run the two mile back on my track high school team. Um, 
I don't know, <laughs> nice, all right. I don't know why I did that. Um, I, I was not good at it. I wanted to win, I wanted to win right away. And so I didn't start well. Like I was always right out, you know, dead sprint out the gate when the starter's pistol goes off. I didn't pace myself well. And so every time I ran this two mile race, it's like I'm only 800 meters in and my legs are burning and I taste blood in my mouth. And you know, I'm like regretting every decision I made that led me to this racetrack and I reached the finish line and coach has already called the ambulance and it's the same EMT from last week. Like that's my track experience. I don't know about yours. Um, but the, the reason I didn't succeed is because I wasn't thinking in the long run, right? I'm just thinking in a sprint and family is no different, right? Family is a long run. It's not a sprint. We have to start well. We have to pace ourselves really well. And then just like any other race that's worth its salt, when you get closer to the finish line, that's not the time to ease off the gas, right? That's the time to put the pedal to the metal and give it everything that you've got. And so what we're gonna do throughout this series is we're gonna talk, take a look at all those different kind of stages, those stretches of the family race. We're gonna look at all those throughout the series. Today, we're gonna start by talking about marriage. How do we start this race well? And really, the main question that I wanna answer together today is, why is marriage so important? Okay, what is the big deal, honestly, right? Like, and how would you answer that question? Because here's my personal observation. I think the typical Jesus follower can't answer that question any better than the typical person who doesn't follow Jesus. Here's what I mean. For example, my, my brother-in-law, his name is Nick. He and I are best friends. I totally lucked out in the brother-in-law department. Uh, he follows Jesus, but he's never worked at a church, never been a pastor, never done ministry, okay? Instead, he's like this, he's like top level executive for a company that makes like high end state of the art industrial mixers and they sell these to like Lockheed Martin and stuff. Like the glue on Elon Musk's SpaceX rockets were like mixed in a machine that my brother-in-law made, which I just think is rad. Um, anyway, cause you're not like, you didn't show up to hear about my extended family's careers. Um, the point is he's a solid dude. He treats his employees like a pastor would. So a couple months ago, one, no, no surprise to me, one of his employees comes up to him, he's like, Nick, we want you to officiate our, our wedding. But then the guy also looks at him, he goes, hey, but also like, I know you're a Christian and we're not religious, so we don't want anything religious in the ceremony. And so Nick is like, he's trying to figure out how do I even officiate this thing without at least like referencing scripture. He feels really hung up on it. So he decides to go get dinner with this couple to talk with them about it. And over the course of dinner, he just asks them point blank. He's like, hey, question. He goes, I understand why Christian people get married, but help me understand for you. Like, what's the point? Like, because you already live together and, and your bank accounts are already linked together. So like, help me understand why in the world are you choosing to get married in the first place? And the couple was stumped and they just sat silently and, and then they kind of stuttered out these like just really vague general answers. Things, things like, oh, well, it's all about commitment or we're taking the next logical step in our relationship together or we want to grow old together. Just like really vague, frankly, uninspiring reasons to get married. And I'm not, I don't tell that story to knock that couple. I tell that story because those are the same answers I typically get during premarital meetings when I sit down with Christian couples and ask them, why are you deciding to get married? It's all the same stuff. It's like, yeah, to seal our commitment to one another or I can't imagine living another day without her or he, I, he never met a man who respects me so well. We wanna start a family together. It's all the same vague, uninspiring reasons for marriage. And the truth is that I just don't think most people can answer the question, 
why is marriage so important? I fear that the majority of us have lost the why for marriage. And whenever you lose the why for something, that is usually the first step down a long road that leads toward quitting. This is why whenever I start working out, it only lasts for like two months. Because I have no idea why I'm doing it. It just feels like everyone else around me is like absolutely jacked and doing tough mutters or whatever. And so I'm like, I guess maybe I should do that too. That's not a good enough why. Not good enough to keep going. If you don't understand why something is important, you eventually quit doing it. It's inevitable. And sadly, unfortunately, this is why it doesn't surprise me that the divorce rates amongst Christian couples are like literally no different than the divorce rates from people who don't follow Jesus. Because again, if you don't know why you're doing something, you're, you're at risk of quitting. And before we really jump in, I, I want you to hear from me. I know, okay, it's like I know that not a single one of us on our wedding day, we stood there holding hands with our spouses on the altar and reciting our vows, but truly in our heads, we were going like, I'm not gonna keep any of these vows, right? Because eventually this thing is gonna get tough and, and when, when the going gets tough, like I'm just gonna quit. I know that not a single one of us went into marriage thinking that. It's just that real life got real hard, Right, it just got hard and when the excitement of the dopey eyed like warm and fuzzy honeymoon phase wears off or when the bills begin to pile up on, on the kitchen counter or, or like when you know, the new woman at work starts paying a lot of attention to you or when the skeletons finally come out of your closet, if you don't have a good why for your marriage then you are at risk of quitting. Your marriage is suddenly at risk. And so why is marriage important? That's the question I wanna to tackle together to get today. Whether, whether you're engaged or you've been married for 30 years or you're in middle school or you're 20 and you're single and looking to mingle, like we should all be able to answer the question, why is marriage so important? And so let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Okay, if you wanna follow along in your own Bibles on the Bible app or whatever, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus directly addresses both marriage and divorce. And we're gonna jump right into the very first few verses because uh, they give us our context for what's going on. So here we go, Matthew 19, we're gonna start in verse one. It says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he just got done doing a bunch of teaching, he left Galilee, he went into the region of Judea on the other side of the Jordan and large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Okay, so Jesus is a traveling teacher at this point in his life. He heads to a new town and begins teaching and healing people there. And we're told, this is the important thing for us today, we're told that at this point in Jesus' ministry, large crowds are following him everywhere. Right? Jesus at this point in his life has a pretty big following. Okay, next verse. Some Pharisees came to test him. All right, here's how they're gonna test him. They're gonna ask him a question. They ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Okay, already we're gonna take a time out to figure out what in the world is going on right now, okay? So first of all, we're told that the Pharisees, who are kind of like the leading biblical like scholars and experts of their time, they're trying to test Jesus. Or in other words, they're trying to trap Jesus, okay? What is the trap? 
Well, during Jesus's time, the topic of divorce was like this huge social, like theological debate. It was a very hot topic during Jesus's time. Like every bit as volatile and politically charged as today's like American issues of abortion or gender equality or gun policies or climate change, you name it, okay? And without getting bogged down in all the historical background and the different interpretations of the Old Testament, like the, the easiest way to understand the divorce debate during Jesus's time is to to know that there were just two sides of the argument. Okay, the first side of the argument said that God only allows divorce in the case of infidelity if you get cheated on. Second side of the debate said God allows divorce for any and every reason. The second side of the debate was the more popular side of the debate during Jesus's time. It's the one that the Pharisees just presented to Jesus to trap him. Hey, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? It's also the side of the debate that is most consistent with our current culture's view of divorce, right? It's like, hey, if both of you sign the papers, you're all good. But in Jesus's day, this like school of thought around divorce was abusive and specifically toward women, okay? Because the idea was that it was lawful, or in other words, like God ordained, God blessed to divorce your wife for any and every reason. And so the narrative being sold to women in Jesus's day was that God himself was giving the green light, like giving a double thumbs up, totally blessing men to divorce their wives whenever they want. And if you look at some of the old guidelines for divorce, not in the Bible, but in other books of Jewish law that were written during Jesus's time, you will see that they found a God-ordained, God-blessed divorce loophole for quite literally any and every reason. Like you could divorce your wife if she became, quote, I'm quoting, so don't get mad at me, quote, displeasing to your eyes. That was a lawful reason to divorce your wife. You could divorce your wife if she burnt the bread, not making that up, like they wrote, wrote it out. Like some guy's wife burnt his bread and he's like, we gotta make this a law, I can't, I can't take this anymore. Allie could have divorced me years ago. Okay, I can't make Kraft mac and cheese without screwing something up, all right? And then, so you could divorce your wife for any and every reason. If that weren't bad enough already, on top of that, Jewish culture at that time said that only men can file a certificate for divorce, women can't. Okay, so wives are just stuck with their husbands. Husbands can get a new wife whenever they want. And then on top of that, in Jesus's time and culture, divorced women were socially viewed as damaged and used goods. It was very hard to remarry. And again, in that culture and time, if you couldn't remarry, it was very hard to provide for yourself. And so our context is that there are these, these wives, these women who are being divorced because they made soggy waffles one morning or they got crow's feet around their eyes like everyone does when you get older. They're being divorced and then they're just like poof, thrown out on the, onto the street like left to fend for themselves. And so to sum all, all of that up, the, the culture of Jesus's time had a view of marriage that went like this. Marriage is a contract that can be easily broken whenever men don't feel served or pleased by it anymore. And so the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus by forcing him to take a stance on the hot topic of divorce. Because remember, Jesus has this really big following right now and that drives the Pharisees nuts. And so the Pharisees are thinking, if we can get Jesus to take a stance on one side of this issue, then we're gonna thin his crowd out by about 50%, okay? 
That's a lot of context, right? I'm one of those people though that I feel like context is everything whenever you're studying your Bible. I think it's worth it. So that's our context. That's what's going on right now. Back to our story. Pharisees try to trap Jesus. Hey Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And here's how Jesus responds to this potential trap. He goes, hey, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator, quote, made them male and female and said, quote, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And then Jesus continues. He goes, so they're, they're no longer two, okay? It's not, no longer just a husband and a wife. The two have become one. And therefore, what God has joined together, let man, in this case, men, he goes, don't let these selfish men separate it. Okay, let's break this down. Because here's, here's what Jesus just did. He goes, okay, you guys, you wanna talk about divorce, but instead, how about we talk about why marriage is so important in the first, in the first place? Which of course is the, an- the question we're trying to answer together today. And, and to do this, Jesus quotes two different verses from the very first couple chapters of the Bible back in Genesis. Okay, the the first quote is when Jesus says, the creator made them male and female. Every Pharisee would have known that Jesus was quoting Genesis 1, 27. Goes like this. So God created man, in this case, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is something I love about Jesus because what he's doing by by quoting this is he's drawing the crowd's attention to the fact that God created both men and women to be imagers of God, which means we're designed to reflect God's goodness to the world around us. And so what Jesus is doing is he's jabbing at the current cultural idea that men is designed for women or for men and women are an afterthought. Jesus is doing what Jesus does best which is he is advocating for the down and out, the underdog, in this case, women. He's elevating the status of women, raising them up to the status of men so that he can level the playing field. That's the first quote. The second quote is when Jesus refers to Genesis 2, 24, goes like this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And with this quote, Jesus is using the very first verse about marriage in the Bible to point everyone to the actual importance of marriage. He's getting to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter behind marriage is that when two people get married, something like deeply spiritual happens to them. Okay, something that is, it's out of the bride and groom's control. It's something that happens regardless of whether or not you even believe in Jesus. And what happens is that God unites the man and woman The original word is this picture of God spiritually melting two people together and he makes them one flesh, one spiritually inseparable unit. Why? To image God, to reflect God's goodness to the world around us. And so Jesus, he he responds to this potential trap and he goes, all right, listen, yes, men were created in God's image. Also, women were created in God's image to reflect the goodness of God to the world around them. And then Jesus goes, and when the two get married, it's, like, it's almost like you forgot the first couple chapters of the Bible. When the two people get married, God unites them and he makes them into one spiritually inseparable unit so that now the relationship itself can also image God to the world around them. Now, 
I'm not gonna cover the, the rest of this section of Matthew 19, even though it's great, you should go read the rest of it. Jesus continues to challenge the Pharisees. He continues to elevate the status of women. He even takes time to elevate the status of single people, right? Which, by the way, I just, I just wanna say this. If you're in the room and, and you're single, like, I, I'm sorry that the typical church will make you feel lesser than I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that Christians have, for some reason, glorified marriage and parenting as if it's like the ultimate goal of a Christian's life. I'm sorry. It's a shame. It's also illogical because we follow and worship Jesus Christ who lived his whole life without ever getting married or ever having kids. And we don't think he's lesser than, right? Pretty sure everyone in the room, most people in the room think he's like the top dog, right? So I'm sorry that the typical church makes you feel that way. But even though Jesus was never married, a lot of us have gotten married, so we do have to talk about it. And, and so for today, we're, we're just gonna stick with the verses that we've already covered and break them down because we just got the answer to our question, okay? Why is marriage so important? And here's the answer to the question. Here's why it's so important. By quoting those verses from Genesis, Jesus is telling the crowd that marriage is not a contract. Instead, it is a covenant. Okay, covenant, that's, that's like a word, I don't use that word every day. So what does covenant mean? In the simplest terms, a covenant is a spiritually binding oath between God and his people. And over the course of history, God has made several covenants with his people. Made a, made a covenant with Noah to never again flood the earth and made a covenant with Abraham that it would turn his family into a great nation that would bless every other nation. He made covenants with Moses and David and then now you and I, we live under the covenant sealed by Jesus, the, the spiritually binding oath between God and us that because of what Jesus did for us, you and I are now cleansed and forgiven and we are new creations and we're adopted into this new spiritual family and we're sons and daughters of the living God and we're co-heirs with Christ like this is the good news this is the gospel that that covenant is everything and so in Matthew 19 Jesus just told everyone that marriage is no contract marriage is a covenant marriage is a spiritually binding oath between God and a man and a woman where God unites them and makes them one flesh so that the relationship can now image his goodness to the world around them Remember the common view of marriage during Jesus' time. Marriage is a contract that can be easily broken whenever men don't feel served or pleased by it anymore. Jesus took that idea, flipped it upside down, turned it on its head, and he goes, no, actually marriage is a covenant that cannot be broken without doing a lot of damage. And that's because marriage is a covenant designed to show the world what God looks like. The follow-up question in my mind, because I'm a critical person, like my follow-up question is like, okay, great, but how can a marriage uniquely image God in a way that's different from any other relationship? And the truth is, it can really do it in just one unique way, and this is the why. This is why marriage is so important, it's this. Marriage is uniquely designed to show the world what God's never-ending, never-quitting love and commitment look like. That is the why behind marriage. I mean, like by design, it's really the only thing that makes marriage unique from any other relationship. Not better than, just unique. When you get married, whether you realize it's happening or not, God is spiritually, inseparably gluing you together on purpose and for a specific purpose to reflect 
his never ending, never quitting love and commitment to the world around you. How do you reflect that? Well, the truth is by never quitting on the person that you married. Before I like dig in to that idea, I just want to say this real quickly. I, I know that there are some situations where you needed to step out of your marriage because you were in danger or your kids were in danger. That's not quitting, all right? That's protecting yourself and your family. I'm not talking about those unique situations right now, but, but for, for the kind of marriage where no one's in danger, like this is the why. This is why marriage exists, if you were to read the rest of Matthew 19 today, which you totally should, if you go read the rest of it, this is why Jesus' disciples are absolutely, they're shocked by Jesus' understanding of marriage. In fact, a few verses from where we just left off, they look at Jesus and, and they're like, Jesus, if that's what marriage is supposed to be about, then maybe we shouldn't get married. And Jesus agrees with them. He's like, yeah, yeah, maybe you shouldn't. This is why in Ephesians 5, when Paul talks about marriage being a covenant that reflects Jesus' love and commitment to the world, Paul uses the term, he goes, marriage is a profound mystery. This is why we all intuitively understand that there's just something heavier and deeper about a marriage. And it's because marriage is not about feeling the warm fuzzies of young love for the rest of your life. It's not gonna happen. Right? Marriage is not about tying your bank accounts together so that it's easier to get a mortgage. Marriage is not about like having a better shot at raising healthy kids or feeling less alone or being blissfully happy. Even though I hope that some of those come into play for you, but they're still not the why, okay? The why, the reason marriage is so important is because marriage is uniquely designed to show the world what God's never-ending, never-quitting love and commitment look like. It is the only reason he created marriage. And honestly, it's also the reason why the divorce hurts so bad. It's why it still hurts. It's because it violated like the only thing that makes marriage a unique relationship in the first place. And, and if divorce is a part of your story, please hear from me. Like, I, I'm, I don't want you to hear, I don't, I'm not trying to ounce, like, I'm not trying to throw an ounce of guilt or shame on your head, okay? I do not believe that Jesus throws an ounce of guilt or shame on your head. I believe he put our shame and our guilt to death on the cross. So like, I firmly believe, I've staked my life on the belief that Jesus has more grace for us than we could ever understand or ever even know what to do with in the first place, okay? So your past is in the past. It's just as forgiven as everything that you got down the road in your future. But I, I, don't, I don't bring divorce up to dig up the past. Instead, I bring it up because maybe it would be helpful for you to understand, like, maybe that's why it hurts so bad. Maybe that's why it still hurts, right? Because you didn't know it. Like, you didn't realize it at the time. But what happened is you got spiritually glued to another person, right? And this is why Jesus says, like, what God joined together, let man not separate. Because he knows that you just, you can't spiritually unglue yourself without a lot of pain and damage and mess. It's like making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, okay? You got peanut butter on one slice of bread, you got jelly on the other slice of bread, and then the second you smash them together, there's no going back to the way things were ever again, right? You just can't, you can't cleanly unglue it. You can't pull that sandwich apart and have, again, just jelly on one side and just jiff on the other because it all got glued together. And this is why marriage is so important. It's the only thing that sets the relationship apart as unique from other relationships. It's designed to show the world what God's never-ending, never-quitting love and commitment look like. 
Like there's this great verse in Romans 8. I'm assuming some of us have heard it. There's this like series of verses all about how nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Well, since marriage is designed to reflect that kind of love and commitment, that means technically as a married person, I should be able to swap out the names at the end of that verse and say, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate Ali from the love and commitment of Ben. Why? Because that's the love and commitment I'm supposed to be displaying to the world around me through my marriage. It's supposed to show the inseparable, never-ending, never-quitting commitment and love of God to the world. It's heavy stuff. It's why when marriage goes well, it's so beautiful. It's also why when marriage goes south, it hurts so bad. My wife, Allie and I, we do not have a perfect marriage, okay? Nobody does. Um, At the same time, I'm not gonna lie to you or downplay anything. We have like a really fulfilling marriage, okay? Notice I didn't say easy, I said fulfilling. Um, And we do. And I think the central reason that we have such a fulfilling marriage is because we both understand what we got ourselves into and we both absolutely committed to that why. And I'll never forget the moment this clicked for me for, for real, like deep down in my gut. Okay, it was 2009. We were engaged, but not married, married yet. And we were sitting on, on the couch in Allie's townhome at the time getting wedding invitations ready, okay? So been sitting there for a couple hours, like addressing all these envelopes. Eventually, Allie gets a call from her mom. She takes the call. After a few minutes, she hangs up and she starts crying. And it turns out that mom, or Allie's mom's depression like got, was really bad at, in that season. And that's what they were talking about on the phone. But then Allie starts opening up to me through tears. And it's like, here we are, we're addressing envelopes for our wedding that's coming in just a couple months. And Allie starts going like, Ben, like, what if you shouldn't marry me? Cause like what, you know, what happens if I wake up a few years from now with the same kind of depression that my mom woke up with? Like, what if that happens, but then it's too late for you, right? Like, you can't back out, and so you're stuck with me. Like, you're stuck with something that you never signed up for. And even though this was before I followed Jesus, something like Jesus-like clicked in my gut, and I just, I had this deeply resonant, deeply rooted realization, like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not gonna go anywhere. Like I'm never, ever, ever gonna bail on this woman. And I, I, I am, I'm signing up for the unknown. I get it, I'm committing myself to it. Like for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, in joy or in depression, till death do us part. Like I realized in that moment, like I am not going anywhere. And I told myself like, no matter what happens in the future, I'm sticking with Allie and I might not be able to solve any of her problems, but I can at least help her carry them. And you know, it w- I just realized it would be my honor to walk side by side with her every day of my life, just kind of propping each other up as we weather whatever life throws our way. Now, before you start thinking like I'm some, the romantic hero of my own story, here's the only reason I'm cool with telling you that story in the first place. It's because Fast forward a few years into our marriage from that moment, and guess who woke up with depression? I did. And then you fast forward to today, 14 years into our marriage, guess who hasn't quit on me yet? Allie. And I can get like emotional even thinking about this. And it's not just because I'm so like deeply thankful for Allie. Like I can get emotional because 
I know that Allie is reflecting like just a glimpse of God's like never ending, never quitting love for me. And even that glimpse is like just overwhelming to me. And as for me, it's like, okay, so if, if Al, someone like Allie could love someone like me that way, then like how much more does God love us? And how much more committed to us is he? And how much less quit does he have in him? And if Allie could love someone like me in that way, then like maybe God really means it when he says that our darkest moments are completely covered and forgiven. And maybe God really means it when he looks at us each individually and he says, listen, for better or for worse in sickness and in health until the day you die and meet me face to face, I'm not going anywhere. This is the importance of marriage. And so before I, I pray and, and we all get out of here, I got a question for you. Like, where do you, where do you wanna go from here? Where do, where do you wanna go from here? Like, I'm talking to any of us who are single or dating or engaged or any of us who in the room who are married, where do you wanna go from here? Because if you want your future or current family to go places, if you, if you want healthy, thriving relationships with your family five, 10, 30 years down the road, if you wanna finish well, that race starts today. It starts today, wherever you are in your journey. Right, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know, man, like it might be too late for my marriage. I don't think so, man. Start today. Maybe it starts by sitting down at the dinner table tonight or you know, later today and just sitting down and having a long overdue conversation, right? And, and maybe it starts by looking her in the eyes and go, hey, listen, like I'm not going anywhere. Just in case you never heard that come out of my mouth, I am not going anywhere. I'm absolutely committed to you. It starts today. Starts today if you're dating. Starts today if you're in middle school, right? Starts today, like don't buy into our culture's lie that relationships are easily disposable as soon as they get complicated or confusing or challenging. It will only result in you being disposed of one day and it's gonna hurt very badly. This starts today, find someone who truly understands that Jesus has not quit on them because then there's a better chance that they won't quit on you. But it starts today, we gotta start well. And when it comes to family, if we wanna finish well, then we have got to start by understanding that marriage is uniquely designed to show God's never quitting, never ending love and commitment to the world around us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for everyone in this room right now. And God, ultimately, I thank you for being who you are. God, I thank you for, for your love and your commitment toward us at the end of the day, like at the, at the very bottom of the message I just gave, that's the truth that we should all be walking out of the room with. Like you are absolutely committed to us. You love us, you're not going anywhere. God, I pray for our marriages. I pray over our marriages. God, whether we've been married for a year or we've been married for 50 years or we're engaged and we're getting married down the road, like, God, would you please protect our marriages? God, would you give us courage to have the kind of conversations that we need to have with our spouses? God, would you give us the courage if we're dating to like go against the grain of what our culture says and, and look for someone who, who doesn't have any quit in them? And then God, anytime I talk about marriage, I know that for some people it just... They can't help it. The past comes up and it comes with all of this pain. And sometimes it comes with guilt and it comes with shame. And God, for anyone who's feeling any of that kind of pain right now, I pray that you do what only you can do. Like a, I can't do it, a song can't do it. God, would you please just speak just even a glimpse of your peace into that heart. God, so you're, give them a glimpse of your grace and your mercy 
and your forgiveness. Give them a glimpse of just how committed you are to them and their life. God, I love you so much. Um, Give us some discernment as we try to figure out how to build into our marriages in the way that you would. And ultimately, God, I thank you for who you are. And I pray all of this in your holy son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.